0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who is supporting a teaching farm in Africa. We're talking with Aaron Douglas about sustainable farming in Guyana. Aaron is the founder of the U.S. nonprofit Learn, Grow, Lead, and has helped birth a sustainable farm project in Guyana, Africa, to support the local community. The Helper's Farm is an organic, Community teaching farm that works in partnership with local agriculture school programs to encourage farmers to farm naturally without the use of pesticides, transitioning farms in the surrounding communities to a healthier environment and a healthier food system. Welcome to the show today, Aaron. Are you ready to rock?
1: Hey, woo, Greg, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so grateful for your podcast. Thank and I just fri- so thrilled to share our story. I think your listeners are really going to enjoy this.
0: Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, the path I took. Okay. Well, it starts in 2002-ish when I was working in San Francisco in the Transamerica building. I was working for an investment bank as a corporate event manager. And I was kind of going through one of these midlife crises saying, there's got to be something more. I'm feeling a little unfulfilled. I pulled my boss at the time aside and I said, hey, boss, we were sitting in a Starbucks right across the street. I said, I'd like to take a leave of absence. I need to go travel. And she said, pretend that we didn't have this conversation. You're about to be laid off next week. And and so I (laughs) immediately got got goosebumps and said all right um, and I received a seven month severance which at the time was a, I mean a great package I can't remember exactly what it was but it was like a gift you know gift from the heaven wow um, nice and, yeah and and not only was I laid off but basically our whole team was laid off because of a merger and they moved they were all moving to New York from San Francisco and so one of my colleagues uh, Erica she said Aaron, let's travel. Let's go to Africa. And my immediate response was, Africa, let's go to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> she said, she said, Europe, you can go to Europe with your mom. Let's go to Africa. And she was right. I'm like, I, you were right. There's, there's, there's so many people that want to go to Europe, including my aunt, and my mom, and let's, let's go to Africa. So I essentially, I took seven months uh, like the sabbatical, the sabbatical I asked for, which was ended up to be paid, and we traveled and we traveled we had some great funny stories, but we ended up in Ghana, and we chose i think we went well, let me back up, we probably went to ten different countries, and we ended up in Ghana, kind of sub-saharan Africa, and we picked Ghana because it was a friendly friendly place to travel, safe place for women to travel. And we stayed there for probably three or four weeks during that time. And really probably the epic moment of, of that trip was going to take a tour of the Cape Coast Slave Castle, which is a world heritage site uh-huh. in Cape Coast, right there on the coast. It's, be- it's a beautiful location and it's surrounded by poverty. And so, as you might imagine by the name, it was a slave castle where, where slaves were captured and held and then shipped off to the Americas. And on that fateful day and that very emotional day, my tour guide was a man named Stephen Dunkwa, and he took us through the castle. And, you know, first of all, I, so we stood in the dungeon and I almost felt my knees. Like, I get emotional speaking about it. I, I was pretty naive as a young woman. And I was in my 20s. I just, I hadn't really understood that impact. But the slave castle, it was filled with, you know, the few of us that were on tour. Yet, there were a few holes for fresh air and where thousands of slaves stood in this tiny room for months at a time where they were fed buckets of food would be fed through those tiny windows on a rope and just dumped wherever they were dumped. So not everyone was fed. And then, of course, they defecated in the same room, mm-hmm. and they were sick and died in the same room. And then eventually they survived were shipped off. And so that was a really raw, like, awakening moment in my life. I can and, feel
0: it.
1: Yeah. Woo, it was tough. And at the same time, there was this most joyful man at my side, this man, Steven. And I felt such an immediate kinship with him. And we, we became friends. So what, what his, he told me his story that day. And he was uh, born in Ghana. And at a young age, he was, I don't want to say sold, but a lot of parents think that if there's people that go in and talk to parents and say, hey, we'll help put your kids through through school and what ends up happening is that they're they're essentially put into child slavery, doing various things, um, and they're not they're not prompt, they're, the promise of education doesn't come to life. It's it's that they're now forced to work, and so in his case, he was forced to work at a restaurant. He was beaten. He was fed, but he had to sleep on the restaurant floor, and he never got an education. So eventually, the manager of the sleep the, the Cape Coast slave castle gave him a job. And that was kind of where his life changed. And because of that, this wonderful human being, Stephen, he then would help the other kids that were out there on the street. And, you know, this is a problem in many third world countries where kids can't afford to go to school. There's uniforms, right. there's books, and he he would help kids. So he, what he did, he didn't have money at the time, but he said, let's, let's get together in the afternoons and let's do something fun. So mostly it was around cultural activities like dancing or the arts, or they would just get together and talk. And so that afternoon that, that very same day, I got to meet some of these kids that he was working with and they were, they were doing some African dance. And it was actually quite beautiful because it was right on the coast where these roaring waves are coming in and the kids are just dancing. And I was just so moved and touched that day. I knew I would never be able to turn my back on that experience. And so Stephen and I, you know, eventually I made it home and Stephen and I stayed friends and I started kind of grassroots fundraising and giving, I made it home just before Christmas. I said, okay, family and friends and coworkers, here's my experience, here's what I learned. I want to help get, you know, 10 kids in school. I asked for a donation. Don't don't give me gifts, let's do this. And surprisingly, I got I don't remember the exact amount of money at the time, but it probably at least a thousand dollars, maybe two thousand dollars from friends. And so that's how I did it for a little while. And then eventually I met a woman named Annika who's who's still on our board. And this was all in two thousand three, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And Annika she's a force to be reckoned with and just get stuff done an amazing businesswoman, and she said, let's formalize, let's form a 501c3 here in the U.S. So we did that, and we fundraised for many years, and we became exhausted. And we said, how can we do this differently? How can we engage the community there? How can we empower the community there so that they become, you know, that they're not reliant on our donations? It works for everybody that way. And so really, that's how our project, the Helper's Farm, was born. So if you can picture this donut with the Helper's Farm in the center, um, what we've done with our organic farm is so many things, starting with growing uh, organic produce. Secondly, we partner with academic schools and we teach them sustainable agriculture through field trips. Thirdly, we're supporting worker, working mothers with jobs. So many of the far- farmhands, as they're called, are women. And they have children, and they need to feed their children. And, and so this really empowers them, and they want these jobs. They appreciate these jobs. And they actually farm, and then they sell the, the produce in the local market.
0: So how did you go from a non—let's start a nonprofit to you're actually running a farm? Because it doesn't sound like you have farming background.
1: That's 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 true. I do not have farming background. Stephen, well, before he was working in this restaurant, he lived on a cacao farm with his family, and at, way out in the bush. Um, in fact, we visited that place. And they grew their own food. There were no grocery stores around. And so really, farming is part of the lifestyle and the livelihood and of most people that live outside of the cities in Ghana. They're, they're, you know, It's not like the U.S. You can just drive to the grocery store and get your food. And so he was very connected to farming. And he said, I want to I farm. Let's build a farm. The other thing is we were educating all these children, and there really is no jobs for them once they graduate. So the farm was another opportunity to provide uh, a livelihood and income for the kids graduating from school.
0: So it sounds like it was just a logical plug-in for the community. You actually plugged into the community and got a sense of what they needed, and then you delivered it.
1: Yes, and I don't want to give myself credit for that, but I definitely will give Stephen and the local community there credit for that. That was their idea. We also explored a bookstore which failed. That just didn't work. And so the farm seemed more meaningful, more practical, and Mm -hmm. more needed.
0: I have a planning, urban planning background. I have a master's in urban and environmental planning. And one of the things that they taught us all along the way in my degree studies was that you don't go into a community and give them what you think they want. You need to go into a community and see what they need and let them empower you about that delivery. That's
1: that's exactly right. And that's what happened in this, in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We let, we let the ideas come from them, but we, we brainstorm together. It's like, what can we do to empower you? How can we, you know, launch you, launch your success? so that you no longer dependent on us. And yeah. so, the, yeah, the farm was that idea.
0: Wow, we could use this in this country.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think about it all the time, just even growing food in our, like, exactly what you're doing. Each of us learning to grow a couple couple of our, like, lettuces and onions that, you know, not only are we feeding our bodies healthy food, we're lowering their carbon footprints. And yep. it's just so amazing. So
0: Wow. So tell me about some of your interactions. There has to be an epic moment or two that have happened that was like, oh, yes, this is why I'm doing this.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I've been to Ghana several times, and let's see, my epic moment, yes, why I'm doing this. Well, on my last trip to Ghana, they felt such a I guess a gratitude for me and just, and, and it humbles me because I, I'm like, I didn't choose this. It just sort of happened. And I just have one of those hearts that wants to serve. That's who I am. Like, I consider myself a karma yogi above all. Like, uh, in this lifetime, I want to be a force for good and in whatever small way I can. And, you know, many of the orphans, we, we support 25 orphans at our orphanage. And so, our last trip there, we built an orphanage. And those kids call me mom, and it chokes me up. That I said I don't deserve to be called mom, but what can you know? What can I do from wow. from the U.S. And honestly, I think what drives me and motivates me and is the epic moment is that we built this far, this orphanage. And it sounds sexy and, you know, I'll be honest, I thought, yeah, how cool in my lifetime to help build an orphanage, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the truth is, we were not forward thinkers. We built an orphanage, but we didn't think about how to sustain an orphanage. It was just one of those, oh, shit moments. Like, you know, you have to feed everybody. You need
0: <laughs> right? to pay,
1: You need to pay workers. There's electricity bills. The kids need to get to school. There's transportation costs. You know, there's just maintenance costs. And so I think that that was kind of an epic moment and a learning moment as well, kind of all built into one. But just these these children that are dependent on us. And that's why we love this model of like the farm being in the center that's feeding all these different projects and sustaining this community. But right now, the farm is supporting about 64 percent of our operating costs. And then the other 64%, you know, basically we're just really asking friends and families, to, family members to donate to help support those operating costs every single month. And so our vision is that we can expand our farm by at least another 10 acres because this is the really great news is there's a government school feeding program in Ghana. They want to provide. Organic produce and, and integrate organic fruits and veggies, and, and they already are. They're buying from our farm, and we don't have enough produce and and to to sell to them. So they're asking for more. So it's a it's just an awesome model, and yeah, with with by at least another ten acres, we're going to be able. to to sell to the school feeding program. How often is that? The kids are being fed nutritious meals. The government is like buying in and lining up. They're our biggest customers. And that ultimately, those profits will fund 100% of our orphanage, wow. amongst all the other amazing things that, that are happening.
0: Yeah, no kidding. But
1: really, really is a like an amazing, sustainable community model.
0: So how did you learn to farm? And how did you learn to farm then to teach people about it? What was, the, what was that process like?
1: Well, I, I'm a novice farmer. Uh-huh. I'm a novice urban farmer. I did not, did not teach them how to farm. They themselves in Ghana are... So our farm manager, his name is Edward. He's a good friend of mine. He went to agriculture school uh, through our our funds, you know we paid for his education, and this is true for a lot of the other kids working on the, I, should, I shouldn't say kids now they're young men and women working on the farm. They learned you know through growing their own foods in their as a family unit and when they were younger, and then also through the different agriculture schools in Ghana. And one of the challenges is that some of these agriculture schools, you know are are really, they're not using sustainable sustainable models. And so we do field trips, sponsored field trips, where these schools, we work with seven different schools, ranging from high schools all the way up to specialized agriculture schools to come out and visit our farm. But there are several other organic farmers and it's just a beautiful community of collaboration and learning best practices. And also there are standards. There's written standards and an SOP in place that we can share with the farming practices that are used. And I will also say we, are, we would love to invite people out to the farm. I mean, if there's anyone listening if that wants to come visit the farm... And work on volunteer on the farm. That's something we're, we're trying to build, or I shouldn't say build, welcome. Wow,
0: and how... So if I was going to walk up the driveway to the farm, what would it look like? How big is it? And what would it look like?
1: Yeah, so currently we're just over 10 acres. It's about 20 minutes from Cape Coast, from the town of Cape Coast. It's very flat land. It is very hot. We are... You'd probably be greeted by two of the women that work on the farm, Philomena and Essie. I guess they're probably in, ones in their 30s, ones in their 40s, and they're both mothers. You would see flags. So we, we started this sponsorship model where, where if anyone donates to the farm over $150, then we'll put a flag up. And the kids actually in the orphanage make these flags, and they'll just hand stamp your name. Wow. Which is pretty cool.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: So they're very simple flags, but they're colorful. And you would see cabbage growing. You would see watermelons growing. You would see eggplants, tomatoes, green peppers, carrots, okra, cassava, cauliflower, and And, more.
0: And you grow all year round?
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. the, The climate is such that... We can grow it grow year round. and there is a, there is a natural water source nearby, a stream. Uh-huh. but also we're, we're looking to you know have a more sophisticated irrigation system, so that's also part of our fundraising goal.
0: So how do you water ten acres?
1: I know they hand water a lot, but I don't know that, obviously, that they're going to hand water the whole 10 acres. We do have some irrigation, but I don't know enough about that. Yeah, I'm, I don't claim to be the farm expert, that's for sure.
0: No, you're just the brilliant person that invented this.
1: I'm the champion and the fundraiser and just the, the heart-centered advocate of kind of you know doing, doing something a little bit different to raise awareness and, and empower this awesome community. It really is so special.
0: Wow, nice. So, this is an awesome project that you're working on. How can our listeners help?
1: Well, uh, I'd love for your listeners to take a look at our website. It's learngrowlead.org. And under our impact section, you'll see the Helpers Farm, the orphanage, and a little bit about our educational partnerships. But I'd love for you all just to take a look at the Helpers Farm page. And there's a sweet video. It was actually recorded inside the Cape Coast Castle, the slave castle, mm-hmm. and it and it shows Stephen, who I mentioned, my brother from another mother, and then Edward, our farm manager, and it's just a very simple video talking about how they got started farming. But that's a fun video to take a look at, and of course, you can help by donating if you feel called or sharing this story with with anyone that you think might be interested. If you do want to make a donation to us over $125, then we'd be thrilled to to make a flag for you. And I also want to share that we're 1% for the Planet nonprofit members, and a lot of businesses out there are pledging to donate 1% of sales from their entire business or just a specific product line. And so if you're interested in this project, and you're also 1% for the Planet member, which I encourage everyone to check out. You can do it as an individual as well. It's really deeply meaningful and awesome community. You can donate through your 1% for the Planet uh, partnership as well. And if you want to support an orphan in our orphanage, that's $100 a month. And that includes their school fees, their meals, their living expenses, and their health care insurance. And, And if you just want to talk or have ideas, we're really open to that too. And my email address is erin, B-R-I-N, at learnroly.org.
0: Nice. Thank you for that. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
1: Besides building our orphanage without being forward-thinking and thinking about our operating plan, I would say that was a big failure. But of course, we're learning, and I think there's, there's so many resources in the world. And I like to think that we live in a very abundant resource, and, uh, sorry, a very abundant universe, and oh, it's yes. so apparent, right? It's so apparent, like, you know, every, every spring and summer, there's food growing for us. And what's interesting is I shared this story about our orphanage in a social media post, and someone I had worked with so long ago at that investment bank that I, that I mentioned and this was several years ago, it was one of the only women that was a, tr- a woman on the trading floor. Her name is Chelsea, and she's just an angel on this planet. And, and fortunately, she's very successful, and she, over over the years, has probably donated more than $100,000 to our organization. Wow. So so I think, now, don't be afraid to share what you're passionate about. Share how you can serve. Ask, but, but from a place of humility like I said we kind of screwed up on this and we need some help and you know she sponsored so many children and it's just you know most people will say no or it doesn't resonate with them and that's okay I think that's okay because there's just so many different you know different folks for different strokes. it's not personal but share your message because one or two people will resonate at such a deep level and what I like to, to believe is that if we if we don't ask, there's someone out there that's waiting to give and just looking for this exact moment to help somebody, some project, to feel more, more good in their heart, that they're making a bigger difference. So I guess that that's one, one part of, of failing, that we can learn from that, ask for help, and just remember to be resourceful and that the world and the universe is abundant. And we have all the support we need out there. We just need to ask.
0: Right. Yeah, I often say that the only place that lack lives is between our ears. Because when I look at the abundance that comes from my little teeny little farm in the middle of Phoenix, it's mind-blowing.
1: Right. Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah. And what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Okay. Well, besides this amazing project in Ghana, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears a little bit. I work for a company, an Ayurvedic herbal supplement. Supplements company as my 9 to 5 job. Uh-huh. Here in Ashland, Oregon, and it's called Banyan Botanicals. There there may be another future uh, podcast interview with you Greg um, Good. on that. But I had always wanted to work for a certified B corporation, and for those listeners that don't know what a certified B corporation is, is it's a like it's a, it's a gold standard certification that proves that a company is socially and environmentally responsible. And you have those companies that certify have to achieve a minimum score in order to certify. It's a positive point system, and it basically looks like an assessment where you earn points for each answer. So you're never taking away points, but you earn points for basically your business model, your social impact, which can mean your supply chain, giving back in your community, how you treat your employees, and all the way through the environmental piece, you know, recycling policies, you know, in the office, how do you get rid of waste, etc. And so in my life, I, I pro- proposed that to the company I work for. And ultimately, over two years, I was the champion. And I brought us to D Corp certification. Wow. And honestly, honestly, I feel that that through capitalism, we can really change the world because consumerism is not going to go away, but the ripple effects of that, it would often bring me to tears, bring me to tears. We, we raise employee wages. You know, we have better long-term contracts with our farmers in India. We're measuring our waste. We're now composting our herbal waste from our products, and it's just amazing. So... Yeah. In fact, if you want to learn more about that, I did a podcast. Maybe we can put that in the show notes.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: So if companies or listeners want to learn more about B Corp certification, but that was deeply meaningful and something I'm super proud of.
0: And you do all kinds of cool things with your life, don't you?
1: You know, I think on a happiness scale, out of one to 10, I'm probably an (laughs) 8.5 because I I yeah feel like I'm able to
0: make a difference, and sometimes yeah. I certainly get stuck. But well, yeah. welcome, welcome to being
1: human. This is this, exactly right, exactly. and this is part of the
0: reason I started this podcast was to share stories like you. You were in a job, you weren't happy with the job. The universe stepped in before you really decided to get out. When you know when they laid you off with the seven month severance package, that is the universe like supporting you to do what you love.
1: Oh my gosh. It is so true. Like my grandmother said, everything is in divine order. And sometimes we just have to take a deep breath and surrender and be supported.
0: <laughs> right. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. And wh- the bigger question, what drives you? It's like, what's your big why in the world?
1: I often think about, I've read the book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I think about that is what, what would I regret that I didn't do or that I didn't have the courage to try? Even if I failed and or even if I decided, you know what? I thought that was a good idea. It wasn't a good idea. I don't want to have regrets in life. And when I'm doing my life review, I want to say I lived with gusto. I gave it at least ninety percent. Like there's going to be ten percent fear in there, maybe that stops us. But this with I lived without. I lived with embracing fear because my story is that I often don't feel smart enough mm. to speak, and so I worked through that and. And so I, there's a great woman, that I, her name is Lisa Nichols. She says, you know, you've got courage in one hand and fear in the other hand. And that's always the case, that you gotta, you got to jump off the mountain anyway with both in, in one in each hand and go for it. Yeah. And I think that, that drives me. I want to be a force for good in the world and use my life to serve and make the world a better place.
0: Wow. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: That's a really tough question. And the book... The first thing I did is I looked at my nightstand, and the book that's always on my nightstand is a book called "How Yoga Works," and it's by the author Genshe Michael Roche. Mm. He's an American American non traditional teacher of Tibetan Buddhism.
0: Yep, I've met him,
1: and you read it.
0: No, I haven't read the book, but I've met the man. He's uh, I was at an you've event met here. Him? Yeah, he was an event here oh. in, in Phoenix about ten years ago.
1: Wow, cool. Well. You know, I do yoga once or twice a week. I don't consider myself like an avid yogi as far as asana yoga and the physical practice. But this book was takes place in like 11,000 A.D., and it's such a beautiful novel about a young girl who's carrying an ancient copy of the Yoga Sutras, and she carries it into Tibet. She ends up in prison because I think she stole the, stole the book, and she's beaten and starved, and all kinds of horrible things happen to her. But ultimately, she, by her very presence and kindness, um, the captain that's imprisoned her and beaten her, she ends up teaching him the yoga sutras. And it's a beautiful metaphor. This is also perfect for this audience. The metaphor is, the book in the teachings is about our life as a garden mm. and what kind of, what kind of seeds are we planting in our garden? And it's like seeds of karma seeds of kindness, seeds of hatred, seeds of jealousy. And that we wanna play they used the this idea of that back in the old days before there was no paper, that, that people would collect rocks, little tiny pebbles, and they were either black or white, but they could be any color. You would just decide which color represents positive seeds and which ones represent negative. And at the end of the day you would you would gather all of your each time you said something hurtful or you told a lie for example you'd grab in this case we'll say a black rock for negative seed and then a positive seed would be a white the white pebble and at the end of the day you'd count out your pebbles as a way to take inventory and and ultimately these seeds of karma are a way to change change our lives essentially and then the other really potent thing I'll leave leave us with is that in chapter there's a chapter called Matching Pictures, and it says when we're happy for others, when we're grateful for the, uh, the achievement of others, that it magnifies the power of our positive seeds by 10. Nice. And that was really, really profound for me. So okay. that book is, was is a life changer, and, and it's really about kindness.
0: Wow. And it's called?
1: It's called How Yoga Works.
0: And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: All right. Well, advice for listeners. Well, I guess first and foremost, travel, see the world, meet people of different cultures, keep an open heart, and really connect with them. There's so much that we all have that is similar from inside. You know, we all want the same things, but we look so different. It can be scary for some people. And then also, finally, you know, if there's a yes in your heart, if there's something that Keeps you awake at night, a dream, just to begin to act on that, because I think that you're, you know, we're all here to fulfill something and it takes a little courage to listen to that yes, Mm -hmm. but take action on what's in your heart and those yeses, say yes and go for it.
0: I love that, uh, looking at the yes in your heart. I've never heard it put that way before. That's brilliant. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Aaron.
1: Greg, oh my goodness, it was such a pleasure. I hope my simple sweet story, you know, is meaningful to you and your listeners, and it's such an honor to be here today. I'm so grateful. Thank you for what you're doing.
0: Oh my gosh. And thank you. This is this is one of those inspirational stories that I look for in my podcast. So, thank you so much for sharing. How can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: I would say email is probably the best way. It's erin at Lead.org. We also have a contact form on our website and those emails go to me.
0: Perfect. And so that's learngrowlead.org.
1: That's correct. We're a U.S. nonprofit.
0: Excellent. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash learn grow lead.
1: We hope you enjoyed
0: today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast.